Thank you so much, Janowicz. Told them when they were rehearsing this morning that <clears throat> appreciated the musicality, the parts, the great pitch, and, and all. But I think I was most blessed by the discipline and hard work that I know that went into preparing and ministering to us. Thank you. Before I had children, by the way, guys, I need the channel changer. I don't know where it is. Before I had children, I could have told you just how your children should be raised. I was an expert in my own mind about instruction, confrontation, correction, restoration of parents and children. And then, starting 37 years ago when my first one was born, and for the next three, total of four, as they were born and grew up, I quickly began to recognize that, in fact, I didn't have all the answers. And what was even scarier, thank you, is sometimes I didn't know the questions. I had always heard and believed that children brighten up a home. I found that to absolutely be true, which is why I spent the better part of 25 years turning off lights. Today being Father's Day, I bring a two-part message, really maybe a continuation message, this morning and this evening, from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, as you see on the screen, a message titled, Fathering Your Children as God Fathers His Children. Now, if we can wrap our collective arms around that, and I would extend that to grandparenting as well, functioning in that way. Certainly in preparation for parenting, if we can truly see that realized, um, we are going to be a city on a hill. We are going to be salt and light in KC because, of course, God is the infinitely perfect parent. This morning's part one, this evening part two, both messages from the primary text being Ephesians chapter six and verse four. If you'd make your way to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And as you remember, chapters 1 to 3 in the book of Ephesians deals with doctrine, theology. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1 through the end of chapter 6, it deals with the practical nuts and bolts of the Christian life. And in chapter, the end of chapter 5, the relationship of husband and wife is addressed. And now in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, is the relationship of parent and child. Ephesians 6, and let's pick up the context in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We concentrate on verse 4 today. And according to my records, I look back, have a record of 3,000 sermons preached. I think 3,000, if I remember correctly, roughly. 
And according to my records, the last time I, I dealt with this text in any kind of definitive way was, we'll say, a decade ago or so. And since then, there are, and I counted them up individually, wrote down names, I'm not going to share the names because there's too many, but I counted them up on our church roll, and there are 28 family units with children, so that, that narrows it down, who regularly attend, so that narrows it down a little more, who were not here when I last preached this, or who did not have children but now do. Let me give you some examples of that. Chris and Betsy Brennan. They were a part of Redridge 10 years ago, but they didn't have children. David and Dina Coons, Tyler and Danielle uh, Wayne Scott, um, uh, uh, Darius Carey Veet, my guess is. You, uh, your, your oldest is not 10, right? No, no, I didn't think so. So those are the types of, of people who maybe were here, but did not have children, or who are now here and weren't even a part of Redbridge before, such as the Janowicks, the Nefors, the uh, Tam Foos. And, uh, so 28 family units who attend all the time who have not heard this presentation. And then I, got for, I, I dug further because I was, uh, I was just, I, I kind of got caught up in this statistical assessment and found out that those 28 families all of whom are attending very regularly, all of whom are new with children, have 74 children uh, presently attending, regularly attending, who were not the last time I dealt with this. It's time for me to deal with this first, <laughs> is what I'm saying. 74 young lives in that short amount of time. Wow. The critical, the crucial importance of the father in the home. And so I want today's message to be highly practical and actual. I can take this uh, as a, a Christian dad and I can leave here today, leave here this evening, because part two is this evening, and actually plug it in, make a difference uh, for the glory of God and the blessing of my family make a difference literally today. God, let that be the case. That's a prayer, not, a, not an exclamation when I just now phrase that. I'm asking the Spirit of God to reveal weak areas to fathers, to break hearts, to bring hope and a deep resolve in hearts to be the, uh, the dad God designed you to be. Okay. With that as a backdrop, especially you 28 dads and you representing 74 children, first of all, who's addressed? Who is addressed in our text? The very first part of verse 4, and you fathers. Now, this is not the generic word for parent, as is the case in verse 1. Children, obey your parents. This is actually the normal and the specific word for the male parent, dad. That's, that's what it is. So the context, although dealing with parenting and parents and children, this use here is actually about the man in the home, the dad in the home. At a, uh, at a Southern Baptist Convention pastor's conference, oh my, 
20 years ago, maybe, I don't even know how long ago it was. The late, great Adrian Rogers of Bellevue Baptist was preaching. And he made a statement, I don't even know what the context of it was at that time, but I wrote it down. And he said this, he says, I desire godly children. That is, my heart's desire is that they would be mighty in spirit and love God and follow the Lord and obey his word. But I can't make that happen. But what I can carry in my own heart is that I'm going to be a godly father. Do you see the distinction there? So he says, this is what I'm committed to. This is who I'm going to be for the glory of God. In the final analysis, I cannot produce spirituality in anyone's life. I can't do that in my, the lives of my children, dad, neither can you. But I can purpose to have a heart after the Lord as a Christian dad. I must purpose to yield my will to God's will, to follow him and be that godly father to my children. Of course, our heavenly father then is the prototype. He's the example in how he fathers us and how he cares for us. And in a word, dads, this is the flavor of how God parents us, how he fathers us, and it's in love. Now, sometimes the love is stern. Sometimes the love is corrective and all, but it is always and forever in love. If it weren't that, you would already be cast away, amen? But because he loves you and he's a loving father for all who know him through Christ, he is our example in how to parent our children. So who is addressed? Fathers. And of course, the admonition is to be the father that God is to you. What are his attributes? What does it say about uh, the type of dad that you're to be well under the lordship of christ i am to parent my children as the father the heavenly father parents me for lack of a better word and in this verse in verse four there's one negative um attribute that's listed or characteristic and two positive ones and so let's tear it apart first of all we see at the beginning it says you fathers provoke not It's the discouraging dad. That is the negative uh, uh, attribute or characteristic. Provoke not your children to wrath. It's the father who is characterized by doing something he should not be doing because it doesn't model God the father or not doing something which he ought to be doing. It could go either way. It it could be the, the absence of a positive or the presence of a negative. But either way, the command here, and by the way, it is a command. It is in the imperative mood. It is commanding dads. Dads, you must not provoke your child to wrath. A father can fall into this negative parenting pattern, presumably, and not only presumably, in fact, uh, actually, without even being fully aware of it. And what happens is, is it creates discouragement exasperation, frustration in the child, uh, because the child, maybe a three-year-old, a seven-year-old, an 11-year-old, simply cannot battle dad. Uh, He doesn't, or she doesn't have the the vocabulary, uh, the life experience, the wherewithal, even to make a just appeal. And so the child is left utterly defeated, discouraged, exasperated, because dad is 
uh, violating this command when it says, do not provoke your child to wrath. A heart of selfless love is to guide you, uh, uh, check it, is to guard you. Uh, it's to guard. If I will uh, parent, and still even to this day, and grandparent, and by the way, you know, um, grandchildren um, uh, uh, are absolutely uh, the, uh, uh, the grace of, at the end of life that God gives, but even they occasionally can be exasperating. And so I'm preaching to myself here as well, that if I will grandparent in love and let that be the guard over my heart, then I'll let the word of God be the guide as I direct those under me. And so dad, let that be the case. Love is supreme. Love is the theme because that's how your heavenly father treats you. Amen. He treats you with love, with absolute selfless love. And we are to parent in that way as well. So even though um, uh, discipline is in order, it uh, doesn't mean that it's done uh, apart from love. So look at verse 4 again. Provoke not. The word provoke there means it's actually to come alongside that child. Uh, it has that prefix para. But it's to come alongside and it is to push his or her hot buttons. It is to either intentionally do so to get a reaction or it's to unwittingly do so because you're not aware of it and there's still a reaction. And the command is do not do that. Do not provoke your child. It's a, you're a being a bully. It's a disadvantage when you do. Uh, it's not a fair fight as it were because the child is left uh, in a wilted state because of, of a dad. Now, how does the dad do that, practically speaking? I have six characteristics of the discouraging dad, and with God as my witness, I do not know where I got these. I may have copied them from somewhere, and I always give uh, credit when I quote, and I simply don't know, but I'm imagining that I derived these, I arrived at these from life experience in the ways that I have violated this command. And so we'll throw me under the bus and say, Vic did this, I shouldn't do this. I, I just simply don't remember how I came about, but I'm, I'm confident these six characteristics uh, can be present, present in a home and they ought not to be. The first thing, the way you can provoke your child is overprotection leading to rebellion or it prompts rebellion or or it gives that that uh, that sense of I have to get out of this place I've got to get out from underneath this overbearing this smothering father um, now it could be that dad went into that innocently because there's been a breach of trust diminished trust and so dad's got to tighten the reins and all but when it is uh, and you say well how will I know I'm going to get to that but this is one key characteristic that as the child starts growing older and uh, uh, that child, uh, Johnny, has followed my, my example all along and now uh, all of a sudden Johnny is crossing, uh, he's halfway across the hormonal river and he's 13 or 14 years old and all of a sudden he thinks he needs to run his own life. And so what's the temptation of dad? To start tightening the grip. And uh, being overbearing because he fears losing control. And the, and the, and the, the child, the budding young adult, 
is saying, I'm smothering, I'm smothering. I must rebel. And so do not be that overprotective father. Secondly, favoritism leading to resignation. I'm just going to give up because after all, dad loves this one more than the other one. <laughs> we used to occasionally when the kids were growing up and uh, my late wife or I wanted, wanted one of them to do something and uh, the other one uh, maybe, maybe wasn't uh, convenient, we might say, one of us might say, but you're my favorite. And of course, each, we'd say it in front of the other kids. And, uh, and so um, I, I said that, as soon as I said favoritism, it kind of uh, caused me to, uh, to chuckle remembering that. But genuine favoritism fans the flame of sibling rivalry. Do you ever have difficulty with the kids getting along with one another? Well, just play favorites and uh, you'll, you'll have a, a Cain and Abel uh, situation brewing, as it were, in the home. There's the sense of one child's going to give up and resign to the fact that I'm unloved. I'm not the apple of dad's eye. Therefore, there's no sense in carrying on. Favoritism. Thirdly, letter C, unrealistic goals leading to frustration. Uh, it's, uh, it's close to favoritism, but it can happen with an only child. You can be the only child in the family, so there's not favoritism of a, bro- a brother or sister, but there's still this, I don't measure up. I'm not accepted. I have to perform in order to be accepted. Oh, mom and dad, if you do anything to change your parenting, if it's not what it ought to be, focus on this one. Little daughter or son needs to know that he or she, she or he, uh, said daughter first, is accepted unconditionally just because you're part of our family. And that should be stated time and time again. Because the world out there is wanting to alienate your child from you. The world and the, the enemy is trying to drag their allegiance away. So give that, make sure that that, that bond is tight. Make sure that that bond uh, between parent and child, uh, that love bond is not easily broken by uh, making sure that the child knows that he or she is accepted. Fourth, lack of provision leading to alienation. We, we see this in Haiti, uh, an extreme inability. Father's not sure this applies to anyone here. Uh, but, but maybe it's not just uh, food and clothing and shelter. Maybe it's the uh, lack of provision of, uh, of, of, of soul oneness with your child or growing into that or a, a, a rich and deep relationship and, and all. That uh, which dad needs to provide. And the child has a sense of abandonment. I'm out here on my own in this world and I need help from dad. <clears throat> Fifthly, Lack of standards is, um, is, uh, potentially could be that. Lack of standards um, leading to apprehension. I don't know where I stand. The, the dad has the idea, well, I'm not going to push my beliefs on my child. I'll let him decide for himself. Well, try developing a, and adopting that philosophy with math and science and, and language. Well, I, I'm not going to push my, my uh, math onto the child. He can, fig- he can have his own mathematical system. Well, of course you'd say, preacher, that is ludicrous. And it's equally ludicrous to say that I'm not going to spiritually develop my, ch- indoctrinate even, 
my child. Because someone's going to indoctrinate your child. And it needs to be you according to the word of God. And then sixthly, excessive discipline leading to indignation, contempt. Because the child feels used and abused if affection is low and dad puts on the excessive restrictions on the child the child is either going to explode in rage or he's going to implode with bitterness the anger is going to be expressed outwardly or it's going to be turned inwardly inwardly either way it is a very uh, soiled situation now how can you know what is reasonable you're a young uh, father. Maybe you, you have a, a couple of little ones um, in diapers. Or all. How can you actually know and have the confidence of what is reasonable discipline? What, is reason, what are reasonable expectation, expectations? What are unreasonable ones? Let me offer this. Of course, this is in consultation all the, the while with your wife, their mother. That, that it has to be a team. But dad... Get counsel from older Christian brothers who have done it. I was forced into that situation. For my dad was suddenly, instantly killed in 1985 when my firstborn was two and a half and my secondborn was one and a half years old and the other two had not uh, uh, even been conceived. And so I had two in diapers and no father from now on. And, and my father-in-law, as wise and godly a man as he was, lived 1,800 miles away. And this is long before uh, Skype and Zoom and, and uh, emails and all the rest. So I felt like I was out on my own. So what did I do? I sought out a couple of old men at Redbridge. One was 55, one was 58. <laughs> to be, at, my, at that time, I was 25-ish, 26 to be my surrogate dads, to help me more than anything else in any other realm, to know what is a realistic expectation I am to have on these children and how can I be, make that happen? Because I so longed for them to be mighty in spirit and I knew that, uh, uh, humanly speaking, I was God's agent to direct them uh, in that way and I was only going to have one shot at it. And so I wanted to make doubly sure that the child's spirit wasn't squashed, but that um, it was um, enhanced uh, all the while that, um, that the kids were growing up. All of these things have, or any of these things, these negative characteristics have to do with a diminished love. Folks, men... You are going to blow it if you are a human. You're going to mess things up, at least occasionally. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, love does what? Covers a multitude of sins. I've had to ask my child's forgiveness multiple times throughout the years for acting in a certain way, for more, more likely reacting in a certain way. And because the relationship was permeated by biblical love uh, to this day, my kids, as, as if, I, if you'll allow me to say it, would tell you, and they have told me, I'm the greatest Christian they've ever known. Now, that is so humbling 
to hear because I know me. Y'all follow what I'm saying here? But dad, long for that. Long for that type of a relationship. Love. That's how you are fathered by your father in heaven. So the discouraging dad. And then we have two examples of which are positive about how we are to parent. The discipling, not disciplining, but discipling dad. Notice in verse 4, it says, don't do this, but instead do this. Bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. Now, remember, dads, and here's, this is a, this is a keepable quote for you. Fathering is not about raising children. It's about discipling future adults. You see, get that in your mindset. Get that in your mindset. Uh, it's, it reminds me uh, of the song, uh, pray for your children. Um, uh, oh, I have it written down, I think, or did I take it? I took it out. Pray for your children. Pray for the days that lie ahead. For they'll soon be out of your reach. But they can never get beyond the prayers that you've said. And so you're not raising children. I don't, I don't want to spend 25 years and have a child. I'm discipling a future adult, a leader in society. And I want that child to be, ultimately, to be the kind of leader that will glorify God and be a blessing to others. And so I never had it in my mind, with God as my witness, that I was just trying to raise kids until they could be liberated. But I wanted to disciple um, future adults. In fact, I distinctly remember Adam was eight, which would have made Priscilla two, and Susie and Betsy were in between. So eight, six, four, and two years old. And I was at the store, and I had a, a cart at a Walmart type of a place. I don't know where it was. Priscilla, being a two-year-old, was in the seat there uh, where, you know, little ones sit. Betsy, four years old, was sitting in the cart. Susie and Adam were on either side of the cart. And I was in the line checking out. And the grandmotherly type of lady who was at the register said, Oh, Dad's baby. It was on a Saturday morning. Dad's babysitting this morning. And I said, very politely as I could, Dads don't babysit. Dads disciple. And I meant that from the depth of my soul. I was not taking my turn babysitting. I was utilizing that time to pour myself into the next generation over whom I was in charge. So the discipling dad. Notice, bring them up. It's the same word as nourish, and uh, essentially the same word in chapter 5 and verse 29 nourishing his wife it's the same kind of deal and it means to um, promote health it means to promote strength and so with my child I am promoting health spiritual health is the context here by pouring the things of God into this child bringing this child to spiritual maturity now what that child does with it I cannot make that happen so dads, give yourself a measure of a break. Remember, the Lord created two children, Adam and Eve. They rebelled. And in his love, he redeemed and he forgave. 
And so I can't make it happen, but I sure must provide the environment to, prov- to promote health, spiritual health. And then notice, it says bring them up, that's talking about promoting health, in the nurture, which means to train, to train God's disciplines into them, God's convictions into that. So I am to nourish them, promote health, by nurturing them, giving actual instruction. Dads, it's not the, the role of the Christian school, of the Boy Scout club, of, of the Little League team, or of the Your Awana club. It's not the role, the primary role of, of those entities to disciple your child. That is your calling. Oh, all kinds of things can supplement that to be sure, but it is your calling, your responsibility. I took that extremely seriously, although hardly flawlessly in them growing up. The discipling dad. And then we see the developmental dad at the end of verse four, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It means the imparting of instruction. It means literally the word is a putting into the mind. So it is not just facts and rules and memorizing verses. Oh, it includes that to be sure. But it is the actual, this is what it looks like. And so you're, you, you have a verse and you say, Sonny, honey, this is what this verse means in real life. I can remember when the kids were little, not, not tiny, but four or five to 11 or 12 years old, four right in a row. And I got stopped by a Kansas City policeman. And I had no idea. And they were in the car. My wife is in the car. All, all of us were in the car. I, we may have been coming to or from church, as a matter of fact. I don't remember exactly. And I couldn't, for the life of me, think of why am I being stopped. So the policeman came up to the window, um, asked for my driver's license and all, and told me that I was uh, speeding because I was going, um, I think, 39 miles an hour it was it was 39 miles an hour and I said okay I didn't know that I I did I was going four miles over the speed limit I if your radar says I just didn't he said no no no. you were going 14 miles over the speed limit speed was 25 and I'm telling you with God as my witness I had no idea no idea the speed limit was 25 but I believed it but I I just didn't know it so policeman goes back to the car and I learned later was writing up a ticket and I had my bible well, by now, all the kids are crying. I mean, the, the, they know that we, we are all going to jail and they're throwing the key away. So I have my Bible right there. And as the policeman was back in the car, police car, uh, I turned to Romans 13. Policeman came back. I said, may I say a word before you continue? Yes. And I read Romans 13, 1 to 7, not knowing what the policeman was going to do with me. And... I said, so I believe you are God's agent for good in our society. And I wanted you to know that before you told me whatever, wherever we're going from here. Dumbfounded. (laughs) And I think he said, well, well, thank you for that. Here's your ticket. (laughs) All of that to say, it was a training in righteousness opportunity right 
in the middle of life. We stopped life and said, Dad wants to share what this is all about in real time. Dad, that's what we're talking about. That's what the text is talking about when it says, bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Practical instruction for life and a continual depositing of information in a very tangible way. It's not just telling, it's showing. Many studies have been done on the issue of quality or quantity time for children uh, with their parents. Uh, I like what uh, Gary Ezzo, we've, re- we've been, received a lot of training from his parenting uh, teaching. He wrote in a book when he said, spending quality or quantity time with your children is not a bad thing, obviously. A father's relationship with his children depends on time. But quality or quantity time spent with children is not the goal. Only a means to achieving the goal. Time is not the goal. Relationship is. Uh, um, Brother Marine, have you been deployed uh, uh, since you've had children? What's the longest deployment uh, in the Marine Corps you've had since you've had children? Five months. And the kids were young. That's a long time to not have dad physically piloting the ship. But the focus must not be on only on quantity of time because there will be times when the quantity is absent or greatly diminished. The issue is building the relationship. Heartstrings knit together with ch- uh, uh, father and children. So this evening, we're going to look more specifically at how a father can do this. But suffice it to say that a father ought not reasonably expect any greater fellowship from his children than he has in his fellowship of the Heavenly Father. In other words, your your the message of, of, of obedience and respect is as much caught as it is taught. Did you all hear that? More on this subject, all important subject this evening.